0: this is the third interview in chicago and as i have warned you in the past two interviews i'm still in the same location there is still some construction going on the the out train will go by every <laughs> so often make some noise but right that's, now that's today, chicago yes <laughs> um i am here with kevin johnson from proud papa productions
1: the proud papa promotions, promotions and publicity big lot, lots of p's alliteration there <laughs> and proud papa because of your three kids is this where it all comes yeah, from that's exactly that's the focus in my life right now in addition to the music promotions yes <laughs> so
0: i want to talk about the projects you're working on but um can we start way back when and and how music got into your life
1: absolutely yeah it was blues took a while blues is my passion but it that took a while to get there i was um but i was always into music um you know, ever since I remember, I, the first song I remember my dad played me was uh, when I was a little kid. The first music I remember really liking. And it's kind of, you know, kid lyrics, but a, definitely rock and roll was Bop a lula from Gene Vincent. I just remember singing along to that with my dad. I didn't really know what it was. I just really? thought it was another maybe nursery rhyme song or Wait, something. Did you grow up in Chicago? I grew up in Chicago in the suburbs, Northside. Okay. So I grew up in a Northside suburb called Glenview, Illinois. Um, just west of Evanston, and then I spent a lot of time in Evanston. My mother's family is from Evanston, and um, I went to college at Northwestern University in, in Evanston. And then I stayed there for a long time. So, so you pretty Evan- well
0: stayed in in Chicago area.
1: Yep, I've been in Chicago my whole life, except for a six month stint in New Orleans, uh, just for get away f- for a little time period. And but yeah. <laughs> and when did back. that happen? That was um, ninety four, ninety five. Okay. yeah
0: is yeah. this related to school
1: no it was actually a just wanted to get away i was coming off of a relationship and just kind of wanted to clear my head i had a friend who was who was going to do a cooking externship for a limited period for six months and i decided to join him and i you know, fell in love with new orleans and uh before i had kids i would go back every year i haven't been back in the last seven years but i miss it dearly in fact my second child is named you said named yeah, okay. nola and that has a lot to do with it um when so, you yeah.
0: proposed that idea to your wife you yeah. said
1: let's call her nola
0: Ac- well, what was her response well, actually
1: she actually i think she brought that up because we were actually looking for an end name um in honor of her my wife's mother who had passed away unfortunately um so we were kind of looking up end names and um we we're we have some irish background in our families and uh we found a name, Fanola, and, and then short for that was Nola, which, so we're like, oh, the end name. We're And then, <laughs> then the New Orleans kind of threw out, so actually she brought it up. But my son, now that one is, <laughs> that was the funny one, cause my son's name is McKinley, obviously named after Muddy Waters, McKinley yes. Morganfield. And I was just kind of joking around with her um, for boys' names, because we had the two girls, and I was throwing out, you know, names like, you know Luther and Otis, <laughs> and she's like, no way, you know, no way. Then she brought up again. She goes McKinley, or I, we we kind of both looked at each other when we said McKinley. I'm like, that's actually a really cool name. So, she she went for it. And I was actually surprised. I didn't think she would go for it. And we call him Mac too. So,
0: and not a name you hear.
1: No, very often. no, not at all. And it, it's uh, it was named after President McKinley, and you know, of course, in that's Mount true. McKinley and. In Alaska. No, Denali, yeah.
0: We we would have to mention the other child's name too, because it wouldn't be fair.
1: Exactly. Adeline, my sweet Adeline. <laughs> my firstborn, yes. We just turned seven, so Oh yes, last Yes, week. Completes my proud papa. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you went to New Orleans and, and what did that that experience give you
1: when you oh lived there gosh. for six months? That was amazing. That I would see as much music as I could and you know, I was I was just getting into blues. Um, no, actually, I was in, into blues about four or five years th- at that point, but that kind of opened my ears and eyes to, you know, that deep New Orleans funk and that that unique brass band scene, which it was just totally unique to New Orleans. I would mm-hmm. go see the Rebirth every Tuesday night. Actually, I had a kind of a little weekly thing. I would do Sunday nights. I would go see John Mooney at this place. He was playing in Uptown and. Tulane area. I can't even remember the name of the bar. He just plays solo, but he w- he would whip up a storm, sound like a full band. He was a- incredible. Uh, Mondays, I would go often go see um, Coco Robichaux and Kenny Holiday at the Dragon's Den above a Thai restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> Tuesdays, I'd go see the Rebirth at at uh, Maple Leaf, which is their famous. I, I, may, I think they may be, might be still be playing yeah, it. Yeah. They've been playing it forever. Wednesday nights, I'd go to Le Bon Temple Roule, which is a bar right near where I lived, and they'd have live music on Wednesday nights and the weekends. I'd go see whoever was playing there. Um, I'd often see this local band called Staven Chain, which were kind of a blues rock hippie band at the time. Um, they had a great guitar player, John Blanchard, I think his name was. And he ended up doing like uh, uh, flamenco music, actually. Really? Yeah. Um, you know, obviously the scene was so rich down there Thursday nights I'd go so to Vaughn's and see Kermit Ruffin's and then mm-hmm. the weekends I'd go see whatever I'd go, you know, go to Tipitina's or you know Howlin' Wolf or whatever so this is yeah I'd soak up as much as I could House of Blues I worked for House of Blues for about a minute down there I didn't work too much I worked at Tower Records making four twenty-five an hour minimum wage back then What year was this? This is 94 to 95 those are the years okay. I lived down the winter of Ninety four, ninety five.
0: and career wise what are you thinking
1: what was i thinking oh i was i wasn't i was i was n- <laughs> you're thinking i'm gonna go
0: see as many shows as possible going
1: to see many shows i worked like i said i worked for tower records and i was like oh i'm, just, I'm not gonna yeah I'm, it took i'm still trying to figure out my career <laughs> <Marco>. <laughs> so
0: what was working for tower records like did you see that documentary that was just released not too long ago i
1: have not and i really want to no i have not I was I was working there. I was trying to get up into the blues jazz room. I remember I had to take a music quiz, which is kind of cool. I thought I was like, yeah, see see your knowledge, right? And uh, I think I passed, but it took me a while to get up the up to the blues jazz because they knew that I was down on the stairs in the pop area <laughs> doing you know poppy mono- things monotonous work. Yeah, um, but yeah, I didn't. I I I moved back to Chicago. I missed Chicago. My friend was leaving and, New Orleans is a very special place, but I knew it was never my, it never felt like my home home. So, I was just kind of there on a temporary <laughs> vacation, extended you, vacation, if you will. Did your friend yeah.
0: wind up getting into the restaurant or the yes, cooking business? In
1: fact, yeah. He, in fact, he owns and runs six, I think, three places in San Francisco now. But talk well, about a Yeah. Tough business. Yeah, yeah, very tough business. Yeah, yeah. I'm also in the restaurant business as well for a long time. I've been in the steakhouse world forever. to work in the music industry part-time, full-time during the day and, and at night. <laughs> and then I work in steakhouses. I've been working forever at night. And what too. does that mean? I, I am a server. I'm a waiter. I've been doing that for 25 to 30 years. So, wow. Yeah. So steakhouses because? That's the most lucrative you know, I've, I've found. Yeah. Yeah. Steaks are expensive. And, <laughs> and, and so.
0: Chicago was known for steaks. Yes,
1: right? absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So any
0: places you'd recommend?
1: Oh gosh, yeah. Uh, I, I I'm working at a fantastic, relatively new steakhouse called Maple and Ash, so it's right in the heart of they call the Viagra Triangle. <laughs> it's a little area. <laughs> Explain the, that to me. I mean, I can imagine, but yeah, there's a you know Gold Coast right just just off of Michigan. it's like Rush, just in between Russian Division, just uh, south of Russian Division area. There's a full famous steakhouse called Gibson's and right. some other famous restaurants Tavern and Rush and Maple Nash is kind of a newer one in this little area and yeah it's just a scene it's a scene a little bit older crowd hence the Viagra Triangle a lot of arm candy if you will and uh, yeah it's a it's it's a very busy scene down there so yeah
0: but this is something you did throughout your life
1: I've done this for a l- ever yeah. <laughs> since I graduated college, yeah.
0: Well, how, uh, how has that business
1: changed? Oh, um, it's, you know, I've been fortunate. I've, I've been in places where it's, um, I've stayed in one spot for a long time. Like I said, I've worked in steakhouses for a long time. In Evanston, I worked in um, a fish market, seafood restaurant, uh, kind of Cajun, and, and that actually fed into the New Orleans. We had a lot of New Orleans and Cajun-style recipes and we'd have live New Orleans music oh. up up there, and then I worked at a steakhouse in Evanston called Pete Miller's, and they had live jazz uh, almost every night. I think, or uh, maybe every night of the week. So that would I, I tried to combine the the restaurant scene with the uh, the live music. How it, you, your original question? How has the restaurant changed? It's gotten so competitive, and there's so many fantastic restaurants that have opened up in Chicago. It's really. It's ama- It's hard to keep track. There's so many amazing restaurants, and it, it doesn't always uh, a restaurant that makes it doesn't always it doesn't necessarily have to be. As... My point is, like, there can be an incredible restaurant that might not make it. It's yeah. just there's so many. It's the competition is is fierce, and location is huge, is timing, and so many different factors play into the success of a restaurant. But back when I first started, you know, Chicago's always a great restaurant town, but it, it, it's even gotten even more insane and saturated, and every different type of food you want, you
0: know. Yeah, it amazes me every time yeah. I come here yeah. how good the food is. Like, kind of like the insane. music. There's
1: any, any type of music you want here, too, every, yeah. every night. So, so yeah.
0: how did the, the restaurant business lead you also into the music business? Um, the I mean, obviously did, you had the love, The restaurant but.
1: business didn't lead me into the music business, but I think we were starting to talk, way back when, we were talking about how I got into music. Um, so I got into... You know, I list, grew up listening to you know pop music like most kids do. The very beginning stages of rap, actually, was into, believe it or not. So that was kind of like my first experience with um, African-American music, which has kind of been my huge passion. I love soul, funk, gospel, and of course, blues, R&B. Um, but I was really into the very beginning of rap, you know, like Run DMC and LL Cool J and Houdini and Grandmaster Flash. And that was because I played basketball through sports, and my friends, was dad was the coach of Northwestern basketball team. So they had a lot of African Americans on the team, and or not that many at Northwestern, but enough <laughs> to the point where we there was this the music where I, which sounded so exotic to me, which was you know only I was lived in Glenview, twenty minutes a half hour away from Chicago, so it wasn't that far away, but it. Glenview, the little lily-white suburb, I, I, that that music sounded very exotic to me, and I was drawn to it. Um, my dad was a big influence on me music-wise. He grew up, he loved um, classical music, but then he loved rock and roll from the, loved jazz and classical, then he loved rock and roll from the 60s and 70s, and so he had a great record collection of, you know, that era, which I absolutely loved, and I fell in love with uh, that music, you know, cl- rock and roll from that era, psychedelic era, garage rock and all that. And then my dad particularly loved the Grateful Dead. In fact, and that's how I got into the, got into blues through the Grateful Dead and the Allman Brothers. So oh, really? yeah, my dad, my parents divorced in the late seventies. Uh, my dad was 40 and he started hanging with guys a little bit, about 10 years younger than him. And they started going to go see the Grateful Dead. So my, when my dad was from 40 to 50, he would follow the dead around. This is the late seventies. He was the, a deadhead. Yeah, and he he didn't look like one. He was a you know short hair, uh, you know gym teacher, basketball coach. But he followed the dead for about ten years. That was his social scene after my parents divorced. Wow. So I was, and I didn't. It took me a while to like the Grateful Dead. I, I was listening, like I said, I was listening to pop music as a kid, but and then rap. But so, but the Grateful Dead was on in the background, and I I. Grew to like them, and I, I I heard I heard the blues in their music. And I'm like, what is this, you know? And then I really got into the Almond Brothers, and so, I was listening to that music, you know, I I think a lot of people get into the blues that way. The Almond Brothers, Rolling Stones, yeah. for that but that. So I got into it that way, and I remember, um, I used to. My dad have had did have a couple uh, blues records too, and I remember listening. I going, this is very different from what I'm what I've heard. I remember hearing. I didn't know who it was at the time. I remember hearing the first blues I remember really hearing on record. Um, I, I used to tape music with cassettes and tape shows. We all? Yeah, tape shows all the time. And I caught the end of a blues program. It was probably Tom Marker's long running WXRT blues program, which he's been running forever. Um, and I caught a song, a guy's singing about the farm, you know, about cows and chickens and dairy and milking and cows. And like I said, I'm from the you know, suburb, and that stuff sounded strange to me. I was like, what is this? And the guy had this great voice, and I was like, who is this? And what kind of singing is this? This is not from the music that I listen to. And I figured out later, because I, I, I had the tape of this, but it, they didn't say who it was, but I figured I was Memphis Slim. So that was my first taped, recorded blues that really drew to me. And I remember just singing about the farm, <laughs> milking cows. <laughs> Too bad they like,
0: didn't have Shazam. What's that? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So how old would you have been at this point?
1: You know, that was kind of late. That was probably um, uh, in at the end of high school. So, okay. it, you know, late 80s, yeah. So two questions. 90s, yeah.
0: One, when your dad went on this Grateful Dead thing, yeah. what did you think about that? Did I, it seem normal to you or did it... Uh, did your question did your dad's just going through a phase He...
1: <laughs> good question. Um, it kind of seemed normal for me in a weird way, even oh, yeah. though it, I think it's because he didn't he had his friends were a lot younger and had the longer hair. I think he didn't really change his appearance that much or, or his way he acted right. too much, so that why it didn't seem that different. if he would have started growing out his hair and uh, uh you
0: know but if he's on the and, road for like weeks.
1: He, he didn't really do it like that. It didn't affect oh, okay. his job. It was more in the summer. Right. He did a little bit of... But yeah, it was more he kept... You know, I think the farthest he went was Iowa or Nebraska to for, to see a show. It was mostly just he caught every show in Chicago he could and that in the, Wisconsin and Indiana, you know, that kind of stuff. So, okay, so But he, he definitely would listen, started collecting tape. He was a collector, which fed into my... My, you know, obsession. We're, we're collect music collectors, right. you know. <laughs>
0: so the other question is: yeah. So growing up just outside of Chicago, uh-huh. was it? So there was like no other connection to the blues and no significance to the blues as a, a, a young white kid growing up in the suburbs of Chicago.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was so close to me that I could have been catching all these great shows. Yeah. you know, half hour, twenty minutes away. But I was, I was. Kind of sheltered and just kind of stayed in the suburbs. And even when I went to college at Northwestern in Evanston, which is the suburb that connects Chicago on the north side along the lake, um, I never ventured too often in the city. If we did, we it was a fraternity party on the north side at some random place. Um, I did catch some blues, live blues at fraternity parties back then. Did But I don't. I barely remember it. I remember. I think it was Melvin Taylor or Michael Coleman, because I looked back and I was doing research and trying to see who I was catching at the time, and they would play a couple fraternity parties back then. So that was like my first live blues. The first live blues I remember seeing in Chicago was, um, we went to the Wisefields Pub and caught uh, Big Time Sarah fronting with Carlos Johnson's band. That was where I really remember going, this is great right. and, and then i would try to catch as much live blues as i could ever since then
0: i don't know why i'm surprised yeah. by the fact that the the blues would have not been there yeah in, you know as growing up it might
1: have been i just wasn't too aware of it right yeah it might have been there. other just, priorities yeah exactly <laughs> yeah i was different different uh i was into sports and that was my life so yeah is sports
0: still a big part of your life
1: uh not, not as much no i appreciate and, and enjoy it but i it, you know if someone knew me from way back when and knew me now they'd be like i can't believe how little you are into sports yeah music kind of took over and that's been my obsession ever since then so well
0: okay it sounds like by the time you went to new orleans music had taken over quite oh, yeah. a bit oh yeah but it was that about the same time
1: yeah but you know college i was I was really into it but right after college is when i really got into it in 90 early 90s um yeah i um i was trying on my way over here i was trying to remember i i did work for alligator records for a minute i don't know if you knew that no. i I, yeah, I was interned there um from uh, 92 to
0: 93 so there was an interest in getting into the music yeah, business yeah yeah i
1: was so obsessed with it everyone's like why don't you get a job you know you're right there at chicago there's one of the best record labels there and a friend who i worked with actually in the restaurant business at the seafood restaurant in Evanston he had just gotten a job there working in radio and in fact he still works there today Hi- hello Tim Coleth <laughs> Tim my good friend Tim Coleth yeah the, they they have Bruce Iglauer from Alligator has has some employees have worked there for a long time which yeah, is yeah. Uh, you know it says a lot about him um, Tim's worked there since I think 91 so I got a, I I worked there for a brief period and to be honest I I think it was more me. At the time, I wasn't quite ready. I kind of got turned off from the business <laughs> at that point. Well, yeah, I worked um, under the retail marketing aspect for for them. The woman I worked for at the time um, didn't even... She didn't even know much about blues. She really liked Sting and, and U2. And that kind of turned me off. Like I said, I was young, I was young mm. and dumb. It was more my... I had this romantic vision and I was... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, so I, yeah.
0: the internship ended, and uh, what yeah. happened then?
1: Then I just I got out of working for the blues, but I, I, I was completely obsessed. I basically worked in the restaurants and would go out and see live blues five nights a week, six nights <laughs> a week for a long time. I, this is, you know, I was single and soaking up the Chicago blues scene. I lived at blues on Halstead and Buddy Guy's club the original one and Kingston Mines and Rosa's Lounge and I'd go to the Green Mill a lot with live jazz and yeah I just I would go work in the restaurants and then go out and spend the money that I made <laughs> and making up for the time I'd that you lost And go see all these blues I'd have I'd have these you know like books Photoshop, blues photography books and go out and get the autographs of all my blues heroes. I was the blues collector geek, you know, and I would go see as many of these guys as I could at, at the time. And, you know, I was obsessed with it. and
0: Tell, tell me about the first memorable encounter
1: yeah. you had with the blues. Um, or a blues artist. Yeah, the first... I think one of the first blues artists that I was really, really into uh was this kind of obscure guy. Uh, Dion Payton. He he's played at Kingston Mines Weekly a couple, once or twice a week. And um he was total, you know, bad you know, like serious blues guy. Like, you know, you get to get the, kind of the the showboaters, the uh, the guys having fun. He was he didn't smile much. Um he, they called him the urban cowboy. He always had the cowboy hat. Um, it was like serious, uh, kind of. He'd go off, go off and play the songs. The songs lasted a long time. That might have something to do with the uh, the jamming I was into in the Grateful Dead. I right, could right. see the correlation. Like I could see like jamming blues. You know, King's of Minds had a lot of the, a lot of that too. They'd go off and. Instrumental passages, you know, like long jams, and which I was way into. Um, but he was like one of the first guys I just really got into. He's still around, but not playing. I don't know what happened. I don't know if he's sick or if he just doesn't. I've been trying to do some research, trying to find that guy. I don't know what's. I think he's too sick to play. I don't think he was the healthiest of guys either. So. So I wonder. Yeah.
0: Austin you discover blues. You're really into it. You go see a lot. Yeah. Um, you're in Chicago. What's the image of the blues that you had back then? Um, um, like the first
1: impression you had of these artists and they, what they were all about? They were like superheroes to me, to be at pianists. The outfits, the uh, the name, the nicknames. I used to collect comic books and baseball cards when I was a kid, and they were kind of like comic book heroes to me. Like they were these. I was always kind of intimidated to talk to them. Later, they all become my friends, which is kind of funny. But when I was first getting into them, you know, they come out with the Costumes and the nicknames, you know, Eddie the Chief, Clearwater, and with his headdress. I mean, these guys are like superheroes to me, and I, I just would be in awe. And they were they were they were exotic and and larger than life, and that that was kind of like what I was first kind of drew me to them. And this music was so powerful and so emotional, and I didn't even I didn't know how to describe it. Maybe when I first got into it, but I just knew it hit me harder than anything else. You know, it ever, ever hit me before emotionally, like just deep inside. Like, the, the those, I was always into the guitar. That was like my, you know, the blues guitar is what really hit me the most. And so anything that had good blues guitar, I was really into it. Did you, <laughs> Still, um,
0: did you realize what a difficult life it was back then?
1: Um, no, I, I don't think I knew that, but I, I um, uh, I could. You know, yeah, I started yes, because I, I started reading up on it, and 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 then I not from. You know, firsthand experience really, but 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 reading up on it, I I knew they were, they it was a difficult life, and you know, because I, I soaked up all the books as right. much as I could, all the documentaries, and you know, I got way into the, but I I didn't venture that much into the, west side south side ghetto clubs until a little bit later, it's just more I just was soaking up on the north side probably more just because I was. Probably just maybe a little bit of fear factor, whatever I was, whatever I was comfortable with. Um, but I'm glad I did. I, I did catch some of that towards the end. Unfortunately, there's not much of that left around anymore.
0: Okay, so um, once again, and I've, yeah. I've talked to other people about this, yeah. but tell me, for those who have no idea, yeah. what the differences are. Of-
1: um, it's it's a little more uh, smaller taverns as opposed to like a blues club. Like a neighborhood tavern, yeah. uh, predominantly African American and older crowd. Um, I always had the most amazing times. Uh, never felt unsafe on the, on the inside. And when you, you have to be on the outside, it looked a little bit it's a different different story. Like I, I would get one time we got pulled over by the cops because they were assuming we were, you know, what are you doing in this area? We're assuming we're looking for drugs or something looking for trouble. And we said, we're going to see blues right over here. Like, okay, go on by. As soon as we got inside, we always were taken care of very well. We got walked to our cars, which is so I, I was always, yeah, it was, you know, it wasn't the nicest of neighborhoods, you know, not the safest neighborhoods, but it was, I never felt safer inside. In fact, I got, the only time I've ever gotten in trouble in Chicago was in Lincoln Park. Uh, I got mugged at gunpoint in Lincoln Park, thankfully, n- never... Nothing too bad happened. Um, But, uh, yeah, that's a whole other story. (laughs) But, okay, so when you go
0: to these clubs and knowing that these are rough neighborhoods and knowing, like, you knew that it could be dangerous. Like, that kind of reality coming from Toronto. I mean, we have lesser than good neighborhoods, but, you know, I don't know if we're ever fearful for our lives in certain neighborhoods. Yeah, But was that a reality in Chicago? Yeah, I I don't think I
1: knew the extent, like, I... I've you know you read um I don't think I realized that maybe it's everyone was a lot of guys were packing guns yeah, yeah. <laughs> I never saw it it was concealed right. but but hearing back and re- hearing stories I did, a lot of people were and I of course I was just going down there for a good time I had never even thought about that so I was, na- I was there's a lot of naivety maybe that's maybe that worked in my favor because yeah, sure. otherwise I probably wouldn't have gone <laughs> you know um I wasn't... Like I said, I felt very safe when I was there. I just always felt very taken care of. They knew we were there for the music, nothing else, so they appreciated that and probably got a kick out of it, you know? Like, we'd, we'd go to some funky places. I I was following uh, Taildragger around a lot, a, a great Holland Wolf-style singer who's still, thankfully, still alive and well and still doing it. Not as much as he used to, but he's still doing it, and he would play at some real rough-and-tumble places, um... Uh, often they were. One of the greatest ghetto shows I saw was a it was like a post church, like Sunday late afternoon show. Harlem, I don't even know if the place had a name. What was it? <laughs> Van Buren and Pulaski, and it was it was a tail dragger. This guy named BB Jones, who was the greatest BB King. In, obscure impersonator like the most obscure bb king impersonator that ever that i don't know that i don't think he ever made a record maybe he had like one recording 145 but the guy was eerily like bb king like everything to the facial tics wow. and everything and then this guy bilbo walker who just passed away robert yeah, yeah. bilbo walker so bilbo walker was kind of like the ghetto chuck berry bb king was like the ghetto or bb jones was like the ghetto bb king and and tail dragger like the ghetto howlin wolf's like. I got to see my. I never got to see those guys in in uh, you know, uh, in 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 small little clubs. Actually, I did see BB King in a small little club, but that's another story. But uh, yeah, I got to see those three in a, in an afternoon. It was one of the best ghetto experience, you know, best blues experiences I ever I ever had by far. I'll never forget that show. Wow. That was amazing. Yeah.
0: So how did you get into the marketing work that you did for? Delmar?
1: Um, I I like I said I got out so. I, got out of the business for a good while um but I was always never really too far away I still kept close with the scene for a long time and um like I said I worked in the restaurant business but I was always like I still I need to do something with this blues passion and um back to my friend Tim Coleth who worked at Alligator he had heard someone was leaving Delmark Records and um uh so I interviewed with Delmarc. Uh, this was 2005, in the fall, and then uh, yeah, we hit it off, and I ended up working for Delmark from 2005 to this past fall, to the fall. So 12 years, I had a nice long run with Delmark and they were great. There was, um, I kept on having to work in the restaurant business. It's it's a, uh, the blues, you know. It doesn't. I have, I got three little kids. I had to combine my two jobs. Um, but yeah, yeah, Delmark was wonderful. It was a good, great little family-run operation, and such a his, historic label. And I got to become friends with a lot of my heroes, which is so. Really, what was that like? Yeah, it was. Tell me
0: the first one. that you have to be friends? When or? I
1: first, well, what, I I had already become friends with Taildragger, like I said. And the, when I first got there, there was they were just getting in. Delmark was just getting into DVDs. They had a they they stopped doing it because it didn't prove to be the best. Um, moneymaker but for a while they were starting to do yeah, capture right. live yeah. blues on dvd and they just finished with a tail dragger dvd um a mississippi heat dvd and cd of course uh it was a zora young cd and a live otis rush so right when i started those were the first four releases i got to promote which is a great <laughs> beginning um and on the tail dragger uh, dvd cd it was it had special guests with Lurie Bell and Jimmy Dawkins who were my two of my all-time heroes and and became good friends with them which was really fantastic and that's how I met you at the, yeah, where, yeah. when you are wanted to interview Jimmy Dawkins and he's yeah that was and and Rock and Johnny was a guy who I was good friends with um and they yeah so this was like it was kind of neat i got to start working at Delmark with <laughs> releases that were really important to me with you know there were special friends and heroes so that was really cool
0: how did how did working at Delmark and working in the blues music business side of things change the way you viewed the blues
1: um it's a good question um, i think i realized it's a very small wor- blues world I, I it's it's really small like it's a extremely devoted um crowd that's into the blues that everyone knows each other i think i thought it was going to be a lot bigger and unfortunately i think it's still a lot the older like i don't think a lot of the younger generation really got that into it or is that into it Mm
0: -hmm. i think
1: i've realized that i thought there was going to be a more uh cyclical maybe a younger generation into it i don't i still i think i don't think that's happened as much knowing working with DJs and writers and it's all still kind of the older generation um, who are so into it and so passionate about it I mean there is but I think yeah I thought I I think that's one aspect so like the numbers
0: I guess like the numbers that they sold yeah you weren't expecting that
1: yeah but like
0: Hoodoo Man Blues was sold like over a million copies did it not
1: yeah I don't know Uh, (laughs) Bob always talks about the sales figures and I I, I'm not the best in talking about that. I kind of, I probably should have paid more attention to sales <laughs> figures. So <laughs> I ended up losing losing my job cause, probably because of lack of sales. But um, yeah, like I remember when the Otis Rush, that, that Live 75, Live at Wiseful's Pub, when I, like I said, when I first started that, that was one of the f- biggest sellers at the time since Hoodoo Man. And I think it only sold that first year it came out I want to say 10,000 maybe it was even 5,000 which is nothing you know that yeah. year uh, you know although right that, now that, would be Bob amazing Bob was like, very happy with that amount right. you know so that I think it was 10,000 maybe I'm not sure I've I'm, like I said I should know the note from the sales figures better but yeah I mean it's you know the, the Hoodoo Man Blues and the Magic Sam West Side Soul those are obviously huge sellers compared to a lot of them um, different time also yeah. right? yep so. different time and thankfully I think they they keep on selling you know it's one of the there's those like classic timeless mm-hmm. albums that I'm not sure you know they cap just captured magic in, in, in and at that time and it just I don't know they just they, they, they'll never stop I don't think they'll ever stop selling they just sound so good today as they did way back when yeah I mean you know they are classics. Yeah, so there's a reason for that. I yeah, guess. yeah, yeah.
0: You you worked at Delmark for
1: twelve years. Twelve years, yeah. yeah. And
0: so you lost your job.
1: I did lose my job. Yes.
0: How horrible was that?
1: It was tough. It was. It was. Um, was it expected? It was kind of expected, just because I knew business had been bad. Like Bob had, yeah, everything they've been cutting costs. Bob had to sell his store, his big jazz record mart downtown, because rents gotten so high. Um, and for a while there he put all his records in the front of Delmark which is really small um, and he wasn't happy uh, so things were kind of getting tough there was always talk of trying to sell the label I mean there was, yeah. he was trying to sell the label so yeah the, the job was always up in the air the f- future of Delmark was and is up in the air unfortunately it shouldn't be but it is um, and Bob got his store he got a different store, a much smaller store just west of Delmark and he was much happier. He was not working at Delmark anymore. He was working six days at the store, so I wasn't seeing him at all. Um, I, I missed that day-to-day seeing Bob because he's just a wealthful, you know. I was an interesting stories popping out of his mouth, and I was sure. I wish, I wish, I wish I recorded more, or or people should record more because <laughs> interview this guy because he. It's fascinating. The stuff that comes out of his mouth. Once in a while, you'll get, uh, you know, you'll get nonsense stuff because he he'll, he'll forget. But once in a while, you'll get the most amazing stuff. At yeah. the same time, he's got an interesting mind. But uh, yeah, it could, I so I kind of knew business had been bad, of course. Um, uh, I, I it was a surprise how it ended, though. I just I, I had no warning, which is always unfortunate, but. You know, you make the best of it. I started my own promotions business right after that. Um How so difficult slowly was that developing decision? pardon me? How difficult was that decision
0: to start your own business?
1: It was I'm still trying to figure it all out. So I I uh I knew I still wanted to be involved somehow. I was trying to think if I should work for another label, if I should you know, I was thinking of all different sorts of stuff. Um and that kinda I can't remember how exactly I got. I think. Oh, I was also. I've also been thinking about getting into booking because that is what's in, been in demand so much. I all the artists are always asking yeah, me, yeah. "You should get into booking." I've always been hesitant because I know it's a beast. I know it's a. It's a. It's a. It can be a pain in the butt. Um, it can be, you know, your nonstop work with a lot of potential for headaches and uh so i've been a little bit wary of getting involved i've also thought about getting you know relating back to my restaurant business i also thought about opening up my own place um lots of reasons why i was always afraid to do that too kept them popping up <laughs> raising a family never finding the right investors blah, blah 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 excuses excuses so yeah so then so this kind of popped in you know let's let's do my own Business work with radio and press, doing PR because that's what I was doing for Delmark So, um, a project uh, came about through my friend Rock and Johnny. Um, it was a Howlin Wolf project called Howlin at Greeland, which is recorded at Kid Anderson's Griesland Studios in California. In Santa, are you familiar? Yes. Yeah. So that's really successful, hot uh, recording studio that Kid Anderson, you know, who plays with. Rick Estrin now, and he used to play with Charlie Musselwhite, originally from Norway, and he's just doing some great stuff there, and Rock and Johnny, uh, who lived in Chicago for a long time, and I was a good friend of mine, he moved out to California, and, um, his partner, Stephanie Tice, is the executive producer of this, this Holland Wolf CD, and, um, they hired me to, to work PR, and, um, and it did well. It was up for a, a Blues Music Award, and, and that was kind of my first project, so I, got, I was lucky to work with such a he, great talent pool right away, and it was mm-hmm. with some of my friends, some people I didn't know, but, you know, Tail Draggers on it, and um, Rockin' Johnny, of course, and um, Henry Gray's on there, and Alabama Mike, which is a fantastic singer, which, which I don't know, I've never seen him live, but I've, I've heard his recordings, I've always been very impressed with him, um, and... You know Rick Estrin and Aki Kumar, Terry Hank and uh, Chris James, Patrick Rin. It's got a whole slew of great artists. Uh obscure singer. I still don't know much about this guy Lee Donald. California Bay Area singer. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a really neat project, and that that, that did well. And I got a, that was a good way. I got to um, kind of uh, let all my DJ and writer contacts know. That I'm no longer with Delmark, but I'm still back in the game and with that recording. So I got to kind of keep in contact with them, and um, so I've been working on some other projects as well. So, so how does the, that
0: happen? Do people come to you, or do you approach? I think it's been a
1: combination yeah. of both. Um, mostly they've been coming to me. I've been the the, the ones I've approached haven't always worked out, but um, I and it's you know. The, the way to get music out there is it's kind of changing um you know it used to be just get that cd promotional one sheet pop it in the mail and you know follow up and 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 now it's gotten so expensive to mail the actual physical cd and you know so there's different methods um i did some promoting by just literally sending out um digital dropbox link via email i did a little freddie king live release that i noticed didn't get much promotion that was released last year right. so i approached his drummer manager wacko i'm like you know i can send out digital mp3 links to that release that got released and a lot of i think a lot of people didn't hear that and that be, might, might be an economical way for you to do it and and me in an easier way without sending the product and that actually worked it worked it worked kind of kind of well especially for overseas of course and a lot of people uh got a second wind for the cd uh that aspect but it's not the best uh, ideal method obviously a lot of djs and writers still want that physical product you know especially the blues writers and djs yeah. well how do you older. feel about that? Yeah. Cause- I understand why they
0: do because yeah. it's not like they're making a lot of money right so they're probably they're also collectors and everything yeah but the reality is that it's tough for the record labels and the artists so to be putting out the stuff and yeah. sending it to them because i'm not even sure if a reviewer writes it if it if he can quantify the number of cds that will sell because of that review
1: i know it's such a it's a complex it's the biggest question it's the biggest that's what everyone's trying to figure out right now it's the huge question mark what do you want to you know if what do you want to spend your money on when putting out that CD that recording CD or that you know the digital right. streaming it's the whole thing it's like I mean it's just it's it's hard it's hard to figure out what's gonna be the best method what's gonna make it worth your while um, and how do you measure success is I know it, yeah is it downloads is right. it is it is it exactly it's, it's like you see you see your album, Rising the radio charts on Living Blues magazine. Yeah, it looks great. Uh, And the artists love seeing that. But is that going to pay their. Is that going to. Is that showing how much they're selling? I'm not Mm. sure. Hopefully, in the long run, you know, what it's trying to do is get their name out there bigger so they can get, I think, higher profile gigs. I think that's where they're making a lot of their money is gigs. The festival gigs is huge. And that's. that's a whole other thing. It's like I feel like <laughs> I feel like they have a lot of the same artists on a lot, of, you know, a lot of the same lineups at a lot of the festivals, which I. <laughs> that's yeah, a Whole other no, thing. But which, I mean, I think that's but, been traditionally
0: yeah. like that for years. Yeah. Right? Like there it should be. Really be's. bothers
1: me, and uh, and I know it's because you know they they get the, booking agencies, so they, they get get the, a lot of the same good. They go through the booking agencies, but um, but there's still some great festivals out there with a lot with diverse lineups, and you know I I I like to champion the older. Traditional African-American generation because I, I just feel that their music is the most powerful emotionally. And, I, and there's still so many guys out there. I mean, they've been unfortunately dying off, uh, as you know, but there's still so many guys out there still doing it. And I, I still think they're getting... I don't know. I don't think it's forgotten. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I just think there's still some great guys out there that need to be... Mm-hmm. Uh, they could they could headline festivals. That could do really well. I don't know, I don't know.
0: Were the radio people very receptive to you when you went out on your own?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, they're they're very um, yeah. I mean, I'm still trying to figure out my my scheduling with I you know I raise like I said I raise my kids at home and I'm working from home so it's been hard to be to find. My, I was trying to figure out my scheduling, so they've been working with me. And I've, I work via mostly through emails. Um, I did also get another interesting project that fell in my lap. Uh, back through my friend... Thre- I need to... But I, back through my thre- friend friend uh, Tim Coleth again from Alligator. I keep on uh, mentioning him. I need to buy him dinner. Tim. Why the hell is he not yeah, here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I got hired to do uh, a Sweet Pea Atkinson uh, record. Sweet Pea is... An older uh more of a soul singer and he does mostly like uh background singing and, and touring um he was in a band called was not was back in oh. the 80s um detroit era and he's a great singer great old soul singer and he's good friends with don was who uh is now the ca- president of blue note records yeah, which yeah. I, I, I didn't even know or i would forgotten it's a somewhat recent thing so they wanted to hire someone um to do blues radio for the Sweet P Atkinson record, which has, uh, which is, which, which did really well. And so I did, I kind of, I, it happened very fast. The timing was a little off, but it still did well. And I, it was a lot of soul and funk, but I worked that primarily just to, just to living blues radio charts. Um, not, not to press. They had had someone doing that already. So I just specifically did that, that and I got a nice response from that and that just fed into another project. Um, under the Sony Legacy Capital umbrella under Blue Note. So I got to do um, Jimi Hendrix uh, previously oh. unreleased recordings that just came out yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in March, both sides of the sky. And they had they had some blues cuts on there, so they wanted to hire me to, to do specifically blues radio. So that that was neat, too. So I got to do Jimi Hendrix, one of the greatest... You know, <laughs>
0: so how was that received in the blues uh, radio world?
1: Yeah, it's it. I, I've gotten mostly very very positive feedback um, uh, mostly just because there's some blues on there if there right, wasn't right. some blues on there I, I might have gotten a different feedback um, you know he's he's doing Manish Boy kind of a revved up funked up in, you know interesting version of Manish Boy he's doing uh, Lonnie Youngblood who we worked with uh, I think it was what was the Curtis Knight and Squires I think it was, was that the other name of the, kind of a more R&B band in New York um he's a great singer on there does. they do a song called georgia blues on there um and then uh he does things i used to do with johnny winter on there so they're playing more like a you know the definitely blues cuts yeah, as yeah. opposed to the, the more hendrix rock blues so, so yeah if they didn't have that those cuts on there i'm not sure how <laughs> but but those even yeah. the revved up stuff yeah because that's what he is yeah exactly <laughs> but that's the getting decent yeah. coverage on Almost. blues radio yeah, yeah, I think it's getting oh, some. Good. It's getting some nice airplay. Yeah, I mean, who
0: doesn't like Hendrix? I really? know.
1: Well, you'd be surprised. There's some blues. There. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. You always get those those yeah, yeah. blues purists. Okay, but do, yeah. the, do yeah. in your
0: experience, do the blues purists really buy much though? Uh, like, I just don't know if they have. They might be loud and they yeah. might be vocal, but yeah. I don't know if they really pay a lot of money. And you know what I mean? Like, it, <laughs> I don't know. If they pay don't with don't a wallet, know. so I. I'm I think consistent. they do. I
1: think I don't know. I think they buy they buy the all the you know the old early stuff on documents and records and I don't know I I, yeah. I don't know how to answer that yeah <laughs> yeah I could be wrong or maybe they're just downloading stuff <laughs> for free. So if know. an artist is interested in in yeah. working with you or yeah.
0: talking to you and finding out about what you can do for yeah. them, how do they reach you?
1: Um, through Facebook through my proud pop up promotions Facebook page. I don't have a website yet, but that's how mostly I've been through my. Communication through Facebook right now. And do you think um, right now
0: is is a website even a decent value? Like I wonder if. Yeah, I,
1: I'm trying to. F- <laughs> yeah. I, Marco, I think I'm Facebook- trying to figure it all out still. Everything's still up in the air. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I would love to do a, a website just with not just with just like kind of blues memorabilia and um, uh, you know I ha- just I have I you know kind of I have a huge collection of I'm sure you know. Autographs and stuff. Yeah, and stuff. I used to cut out things from the Chicago papers. Who was playing where, and posters. What I'd, I'd like to put that all up on at some point. Um, you know, maybe my kids are all in school full time. <laughs> when my two year old gets, uh, you know, starting grade school. So I get a little more time on my hands, um, yeah, I, I definitely want to do a little more. You know lose what you know just maybe not just my promotions website but just a little more of that um i have some other ideas we'll, we'll see if they come to fruition <laughs> so when you've started this first your company yeah. on your own and i'm
0: sure somewhat in shock and not knowing the direction uh-huh but a number of months later is this where you thought you would be
1: um
0: like you seem to have some new, interesting projects thrown
1: yeah your way. yeah 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 i have I didn't know. I did not think like that I'd be promoting Jimi Hendrix. No way. Yeah. Like, that, that, that that one Who know, knew he still off. had new material? Out there. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought I would be I'm still trying to find how much projects I can do at once. I think that's my problem right now. I'm still trying to figure out how much I can balance, you know, take on what projects I can take on. Right. Uh how many I can take on. Um, I um I had mentioned earlier. I have a. Hopefully, I'm going to be working uh, a Canadian bluesman. Well, he's originally from America, but uh, Sugar Brown is called. Ken Wait. Yeah, he's a great singer and harmonica player, and Rockin' Johnny's on that too. He, he's got a new CD out. Hopefully, I'll be working helping that promote that one. Um, and then there's a. So, in, is yeah. your
0: specialty North America? U.S. or is it all over the world?
1: You know, all over the world, but I mean, definitely, it's what I am passionate about and know about most is Chicago blues. Right. Yeah, that's definitely what I would be concentrating. But I'm, on. I'm sorry, as an artist, yeah. if
0: they said, you know, I, I need to find a publicist. Yeah. And so you would concentrate more on the North American market, or do you do, you do oh, a lot of stuff?
1: No, I, I, wherever, no, wherever people love blues. Yeah, I will. Yeah, I have a lot of contacts overseas. Sure and, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, anywhere they want, <laughs> and that. But like I said, it's going back to the economic aspect of yeah, you know, sending CDs, the actual physical CD overseas. It's it's I haven't been doing it because I mean that some of the artists have been doing it, um, but I, from my standpoint, I've just been sending them the the digital right. links because it's just so expensive and it's I'm not sure if it's don't think it's worth it. <laughs> You know? Yeah, it's hard to quantify yeah. the benefits and everything. Yeah.
0: And then do you concentrate mainly on radio, or do you also send out to festivals and things like uh,
1: that? Mostly, mostly radio. Um, radio and reviewers from the major magazines and blogs, um, websites. But no, I haven't concentrated too much on the festivals. I, I, sh- I should, because like, like we what, what we talked about, that is a great opportunity for them to get the great festival gigs. But... Um, yeah, mostly my relationships are mostly with the DJs and the writers, so. And writers um, being so, how important are blogs now? Yeah, I, that's. <laughs> Another big question. Another big question, um, and they always they're always changing. Because um, the writers, sort of the you know the, the print has been dwindling. It's hard to find blues writers at newspapers at all anymore. There used to be more. I just found out my my. my friend scott peretta's column just got canceled in in mississippi really so the arts column yeah um yeah chicago doesn't have anyone writing blues we have someone writing jazz howard reich which is great which is rare we have someone writing full-time jazz once in a while i write about blues but very rarely uh, which is you know it's a cry and shame the biggest yeah. <laughs> you know there's no one writing about blues in the, in the major papers um so are you
0: hopeful for the future of the blues or I think feature
1: I, of Chicago I, blues? I really want the younger generation to take it up a little bit more. I, I, I was, I'm a little bit disappointed. I feel like they're not as much as... Although, you know, I, I don't get out as much as they used to, but when I go to Kingston Mines, there's a lot of young people there digging it, so that's, that's encouraging. Um, to me, to my ears, I really... I don't love a lot of the younger blues rock uh, mm. that's come that's more popular today um, I d- like I, like I said earlier I like <laughs> how do I explain it? this is, it's hard to explain I like blues rock that from especially from the older era like 60s 70s like I love that I don't like contemporary rock and blues I feel like it's too fast right. takes away I, I like blues that's played um, with feeling and emotion, and that, that could be played by, uh, you know, white guys in their whatever a, 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 era, whatever mm-hmm. era, you know, it doesn't have to, it, it's just, I feel like it's a, uh, if you play too fast, it takes away from the, it, too many notes take away that feeling. And I feel like a lot of the, I guess that's my point, the, other, the younger generation, I feel like it's like they just, Play too too fast, and it's just too. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, or I don't you're know. getting old. I'm getting old, exactly. That's the, <laughs> There you have it. It's all explained right there. <laughs> I know that. Thing. Yeah, I know it. right, right. Um, Take your time, son. I just remember the old blues guys always. I think Sun C is just, just always say that. Take your time, son. You know, <laughs> it was always, always words of wisdom from the old blues masters. You know.
0: For sure. Yeah. Um, I when you said I don't get out as much as you yeah. used to it it sounds like that would be virtually impossible to get out as much as you yeah. used to yeah
1: yeah, it's, it's, yeah exactly Cause, cause out, you were out there all the time I was out there all the time I wish I could there's still a lot of great and I, I always I, I go see I'm not just a blues uh, fanatic I mean I'm a I, excuse me I am a blues fanatic but I like all different types of music I go out and Chicago is great for that you can see anything you want seven nights you know seven nights a week I love roots roots based music. You know, you know, there's a there's a great festival back to New Orleans. Have you ever heard of the did you, did you ever hear the Ponderosa Stomp? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Did you ever go there? No, I haven't gone. So yeah, that's that kind of music is kind of fits what I love. Uh, you know, soul, funk, rockabilly. You know, garage rock, psychedelic rock. You know, swamp pop. You know, blah blah. blah you know. Any, you know, older older music, unsung heroes of all the, the, the blues, soul, funk, R&B, all that. That's what I love. I love all the old, unsung heroes. I love that. That's, that's what I kind of look for, and uh, either in rock and roll, blues, soul, whatnot. So, um, yeah, I, don't, I wish I could go out a lot more than I can. There's some great stuff going on all the time. <laughs> well, thank God for yeah. people
0: like you who promote yeah. that kind of music and, yeah. and the
1: passion that you have for it.
0: Thank you so much for spending this
1: time. Absolutely, I I really, I feel honored that you even thought about me, and I, (laughs) I really appreciate that this happened. Yeah, it's great. You're, you're, I appreciate what you're doing, documenting this, and uh, keep keep it going. Keep it going. You know. No, hey, anybody want to talk
0: to me? It's good enough for me. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Absolutely.